I don't know about you, but I have prayed a prayer something like this frequently in my life. God, would you just show me your will? Would you just show me your will? You know, there, there's this uh, danger in our circles of, man, I, I just want to know the will of God, so I'm going to look up in the back in my little concordance section and uh, kind of take things and just read and just quick turn to that and just say, okay, this must be God's will. I found very early on that that doesn't work. So I keep praying that prayer. God, would you just show me your will? Would you show me your will when it comes to how to raise our kids? Would you show me your will of, God, how do, how do I be, be this kind of husband that you are calling me to be? God, would you show your, me your will when it comes to the call that you have on my life? God, would you show me your will when it comes to how we, we use the resources that you have given me? God, would you show me your will in the midst of whatever it is? And that should be every one of our our desires, right? It's this, God, I want to be faithful to the thing that you are calling me to be about. I want to be faithful to whatever it is, in whatever circumstances, in whatever time it is. I want to be faithful in that. But there's this tension in that, isn't there? There's in, in those moments, knowing and living under God's will can be very challenging at times. And if you deny that, you're an absolute fool, or you are in actually denial. There are moments in our lives where we wonder, what in the world is God doing here? Yeah? You're, you feel like in those moments, you're kind of in the crossfire. There's situations, there's circumstances, there's events that are confusing and they're conflicting and you, you're left wondering, how does this fit into God's will? I call this the dark side of God's will. And by this, I, I mean those moments where you feel that you are in orbit, uh, in the orbit of God's will. You are making circles, but, but for a moment, you find yourself um, in, in a place in which the warm glow of God's promise-keeping grace is being ellipsed for a moment by difficulty, by confusion, or by pain. Being on the dark side of will does, God's will does not, does not change the, the certainty of the, the providential orbit of God's loving and kind grace or even the real promise of His, uh, of his warming sun. Yet the, that eclipse, that temporary moment, creates an environment in your heart where you feel dark. Cold and lonely. But you know that one day in your head and in your heart, the sun will soon shine again, right? It's kind of on the other side, and someday the sun will rise again. It's kind of like Chicago winters. Someday we'll see the sun again. But you know in your head, or maybe in the circumstance, that it feels like a long way off. And you might find yourself like the psalmist last week saying, how long? 
How long, oh God? So when you are in a moment like that, you need Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is uh, definitely not our shortest psalm that we are going to be looking at. In fact, it is going to be our longest one. If we uh, want to do super long, we can do a series on an, another psalm later on, not, not now. But this is a, a long one. It has a, a total of, of uh, 52 verses. And yes, we are going to read all 52 verses. Because it's God's good word for us. And we need it in those dark moments of our lives. So would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Hear God's word. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens, and you will establish your faithfulness. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? The Lord of, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scatter your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you created them. Tabor and, and Hermon joy, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong in your hand. Hot, strong is your hand and high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in, light, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted, for you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, favor our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to the Lord, O King, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to, the, to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him, my arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love, I will keep, my steadfast love, I will keep 
will keep him. I will keep him forever. And my covenant shall stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not violate, do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove him from my steadfast love or be false to my my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever a faithfulness, faithful witness in the skies. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all of his enemies rejoice. You have also turned the back, turned back the edge of his sword. And you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked. And how I bear in my heart the insults of the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I find it interesting in this, this long, long psalm, how much time is really devoted to wrestling? I, I grew up in a culture where it's, it's kind of considered wrong to ask questions or to wrestle with God, to wrestle with circumstances. Psalm 89 gives me peace. It helps me understand that living in the dark side is often complicated. There's no quick fixes, the answers aren't easy, and our emotions do find themselves running quite high. And this psalm gives us a way forward, it gives us a way to think, and, and when God helps us, when it feels like God is, is confusing or God is dim. So let's, let's walk through this. The first four verses you are going to notice, uh, even starting, I did not read this, and for that I apologize. It is a mascal of Ethan, the Ezraite. 
This, this means, this, this is a psalm written by a man named Ethan, and Ethan was considered to be a choir director, led one of the choirs of, of Israel, and according to 1 Kings 4, he was a man who was renowned for his wisdom. And so his writing in the, this psalm was meant to be a teaching tool, a, a song that they sang together that taught the heart of men and women. And it means, this, that word masculine means a song that teaches. This is meant, this psalm is meant to communicate a message, to be sung together. And the point is that this, its purpose is to teach you and me, the children of Israel, how to think in the, in the midst of challenging circumstances. But Ethan starts off with, with a very specific, intentional kind of praise. The upward focus is very obvious. But the praise is not about just kind of God in general. It centers on the theme, the key of God's covenant with his chosen king, David. Listen to for the, that phrase, steadfast love, and the theme of covenant that kind of emerges I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever with my mouth, and I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love shall be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your your faithfulness. You have said, I will have made a covenant, a covenant with my chosen one. David was a very near and dear man, a, a man after God's own heart, and his, the rule, his rule of Israel was considered kind of the glory days of Israel. He was the one who helped establish all these boundaries. Yes, Solomon had all the wealth, he had all the power, but David was the one who brought together the kingdom in heart and soul. Additionally, he had this special relationship with God, and he was given a, a stunning promise in 2 Samuel when David was considering building the, the temple. If you know the story in 2 Samuel, David was hoping that, man, I have amassed some wealth, and the thing that I want to do is I want to build a temple for my God. And God said, no, your hands are bloody. You have killed so much. The work is not, that, that is not for you, but... What I am going to do, I am going to establish your household forever. Your kingdom will be forever before me. Your throne is going to be forever before me. So God said, I, 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 that is not your task. But I've got a special promise that your family line is going to be a forever family line. And this promise was essentially that Israel will one day be ruled by a descendant of David whose reign will be established forever. And we know that person, right? That person is Jesus Christ. So God made this promise back in 2 Samuel that I've got a kingdom and a king and it's going to be established forever. It's going to be, he's using words like build, establish, and it's steadfast love. These words that we hear are important words, and their parallels are intentional. The psalmist is intentionally recounting God's promise. And at this point, we should just note that the psalmist is intentionally praising God for his steadfast love, his, his heart for his people. His eye is on them, and the psalmist is saying, hmm, 
This is what you have done. This is who you are. But the dynamic of intentional praise goes even even farther in in verses 5 through 18. The, The psalm kind of shifts into a very intentional focus on who God is. He moves from general praise to very specific praise of adoration, which just kind of highlights different aspects of God's greatness. When when you put verses 15 to 18 together, it's an amazing list of just kind of this extravagant exaltation. He just kind of lavishes God with praise. He he begins with the focus of God's majesty, a greatness that is otherworldly. You see that in verse 5. Let the heavens Let the heavens praise you. So he's going high up and he kind of moves on. God deserves the praise from the heavens, the angels or the holy ones, the skies, the heavenly beings, because he is awesome above all who are around him. No one is greater than this God. No one is more faithful than this God. The exaltation then turns to God's might as he has been seen in all of history, the sea for the Israelites was a daunting place. It was formidable. It was unpredictable. It was a scary place. It is, and it was the only place where God is seen ruling. Even the great nations around them have nothing. This reference to Rahab, you crush Rahab like a carcass and you're going, that's a terrible thing to do to a woman. But it's a reference to Egypt. You you crush Egypt like a dead animal. They are nothing but roadkill. God owns all of creation in verse 11, and it praises him, verse 12. God is mighty, verse 13. And finally, the psalmist exalts God's superior morality. Righteousness, justice, steadfast love are all part of God's character and all a part of God's reign. Blessing comes from to those who are under God's reign and benefit from His righteousness. So the moral perfection of God, especially His holiness, is an empowering and protective covering to all of God's people. And the psalmist is, what is he doing in this moment? He's not just rattling off like he's in a systematic theology book. No, he, what is he doing right now? He is reminding his own heart about the beauty of God. He's recounting the character of God, and he is anchoring his soul to the, that reality. Through history, and what he knows to be true about God, he points his heart in that direction. My friends, if we could only do that. Where I have seen God's hand in, in, through Scripture, where I've seen God's hand in my life, oh, He is so good. And let me remind my heart, my soul, of His, his moral perfection. Let me tell my soul about his, his power and how He rules over this. I need to remind myself of that. I need to exalt in God's power, His beauty, His care, His, his history, how He has worked. I need to remind myself because we are forgetful people. And But we, he goes on in, in verse 19. He keeps on moving on. What happens in this, this next piece is kind of amazing. 
the covenant with David was hinted at in the first few verses, but now it is brought out front and center. It's kind of like a centerpiece. The psalmist, from multiple angles, identifies just the beautiful, extravagant promises that God has given to David and to his people throughout this whole Davidic covenant. You can can read that in verses 19. Listen to just some of the things that God does. And in my Bible, I have highlighted or uh, underlined in red, I have granted help. I have exalted one. I have found David. I have anointed him. I will crush his foes. I will strike down those who hate him. I will set his hand on the sea. I will make him. I will do this. I will do this. So it's, it's this kind of laying out of what God is up to, his activity. And you can hear in, through this section where the psalmist is hopeful. He knows that God is up to something. It, it, it's hopeful. He's feeling, yes, this is, this is great news. He, he keeps on going on. But then all of a sudden, he goes, and there's also the warnings of the covenant. If you do this, this is going to happen. There's the promises of what God will do, but also the warnings of a covenant. If you forsake my law, if you don't walk according to my rules, if you violate my statutes, you don't keep my commandments, something's going to happen. You are going to be punished. But did you pick up 33? But I will not remove my steadfast love. Or be false to even my faithfulness. I I won't violate my covenant. I won't alter the word that went forth. I'm not going to lie. The message here is is hopeful. And this would be a great... If I was writing the psalm, I would have stopped right there. Right? Because the next part is kind of hard to sing about. I would stop, but there's a kind of a screeching left turn going on, starting in verse uh, 38. But now. This next section is filled with an, an incredible amount of pain. There's confusion and there's devastation. And we're not exactly sure where this psalm fits into the biblical history, but it's like reflecting on what we talked about last week. This was during the time that Israel was probably taken into captivity to Babylon. The king at that time was Zedekiah, the third son of the great reforming king Josiah. And the Babylonians had laid siege on the city of Jerusalem for 18 months with unspeakable horrors happening within the city wall. And after Jerusalem was conquered and plundered, they murdered the children of Zedekiah right in front of him. Right in front of him. They put out his eyes. They carried him in chains to Babylon where he remained a prisoner until his death. And eventually, the Babylonians, ret- uh, the Babylonians returned and completely razed the city of Jerusalem. And all that, was, all that was left was a few fields left for the poor. Your king is blind. Your city is plundered and decimated. The, the temple is completely demolished. And this feels like the dark side of God's will. The promises of God just sound so that sounded at one time so precious and beautiful. 
now feels like that they are a long way off. And verses 38 to 45 are, are filled with just a lot of pain. But I want you to notice how much of it is directed at God. Look at how many times the word you appear in that section. There are, if you're doing a quick glance, let me just help you with the math. There's 13 times. 13 times. It's not that the psalmist is angry with God. Instead, he is deeply wrestling with what he knows to be true about his God in contrast with what is happening to him in real time. I know this about you. What is going on over here? He knows that God is ultimately behind all these things, but he can't reconcile what is going on, what I know with him. How do I reconcile this with the promises of God, with the character of God. And this is the hard part of being on the dark side of God's will. You know, you know that God is faithful. You know that God keeps His promises. You know that God is always good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But can we say that in the midst of these, this dark side of God's will? That there are times when the twin realities of God's promises and life's pains do not line up well. Right? Am I the only one that feels that? Where you go, okay, I know this about, about, about God, His character, His promises, but this. They don't line up. They don't feel compatible. It feels like God has rejected His people. That God has actually violated His steadfast love. There's strong words found in there. That they were cast off, rejected, full of wrath, renounced the covenant, defiled His crown. In English, this has a definite and kind of permanent sound to them. But they are, it's that they should not be taken away. In fact, the other Versions say that you have kind of spurned your covenant. In other words, it's not permanently gone, but God is kind of doing something here that doesn't feel good. And so this section concludes with the recounting of the difficulties that they are experiencing, the hardships which, which do not make immediate sense in light of all of God's covenant promises. The end product is a situation that is quite difficult to stomach. On one hand, God is majestic and steadfast in His love. But on the other hand, there are moments when it feels as if God has broken His promise. There's moments where I just feel that tension in my life. My own personal story, my own personal struggles, where I go, God, I know I know you are good. I know that you are faithful. But this, I can't stomach it much longer. The pain, the agony, the eclipse, the loneliness, the darkness. In those moments, I, I feel like God is very far away. It feels like the covenant of God has been eclipsed. But thank God for verses like 46 to 52.
Where do you go in these moments? How do you live through, how do we navigate through the dark side of God's will? We do it by going back to God. And we go back to His promises. You return, you rehearse, you plead with God. God, remember your promises. Your appeal is not to remind God as if He is forsaken. It is to remind yourself of the promises of God. God doesn't forget His promises. In fact, He has told us that already. But it's a preaching to our own soul. Did you notice how prevalent is the crying out to the Lord and the appeal? God, would you remember? Once again, we see the helpful cry. How long, O Lord? Should that not mark our lives? Should we not be able in our communities, in our, our, our missional communities, or in our church, in our, our men's ministry, our women's, women's ministry, have the freedom to be able to say, I have been struggling with the how long, O Lord. And people looking at you going, I get it. I'm with you. Or I've been there. And we have safe places to remind each other and encourage each other, hey, we need to remind our hearts about the character of God. We need to look back to His his faithful promises and we know that His steadfast love is always faithful. He always has a special eye on His people. He will not forsake you. The appeal here in this section is based on the very understanding of the psalmist. He anchors himself not to the, to the change of the circumstances, but he anchors himself to God's ability to be God. It's easy for us to be distracted, isn't it? By the circumstances in our lives. But what does the psalmist do? He anchors himself to God as opposed to anchoring himself to the circumstances. Anchoring yourself to the circumstances will ultimately bring you to the bottom, to the pits of depression. But anchoring yourself to God lifts your eyes and lifts your heart to Him. His hope is not in the why. His hope is not in the when. But His hope in this moment is on who. And notice where He ends. After all that we've heard in this psalm, after the kind of the roller coaster of, of emotions, of the promises that have been made, with the circumstances that feel so terribly disappointing, now we hear a beautiful cry. In, in the midst of this pitch darkness and, and cold uncertainty, there comes, that comes with this dark side of, of the will of God. The psalmist says this, he, he ends with the blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. There's only three other places where you get this, this double amen kind of thing going on in the Psalms. It's the kind of like, okay, you didn't hear the first time, so we're going to say it again. Blessed be, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen? No, no, no. Amen? 
See how that works even right here? You guys are so white. It's just this, this terrible lack of reaction with speaking to your soul. It's like, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen? Well, that's better, okay? So this psalmist is just even kind of echoing Job chapter 1. And Job cha- in the book of Job, Job has been decimated. Everything has been taken away. He's got a naggy wife. His children have died. All his posterity is gone. And what does he say in that moment? He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the hope, my friends, of Psalm 89. That in the midst of great confusion, in the midst of your wrestling with God's will of what is going on, you can and should still bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. We don't do that just when the stock market is going great, when the job is going great, when your marriage is wonderful, when your friendships are wonderful, when everything is hunky-dory. We don't say, that's not just the only time that we bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. We do it in the darks of our lives as well. Bless the Lord. So here's some moments that I want to, or some lessons I want to give to you in those dark side moments. First of all, and this is going to sound weird for some of you, but others of you go, eh, preach it, Paul. The first is this. Don't trust your feelings. We, we live in a culture where your feelings are king. However you feel about it. There are moments in life when Everyone will ask, God, what are you doing? What are you up to right now? How long, O Lord? And these questions asked in honest anger, not sinful anger, are normal and part of even the content of our Bible. So being spiritual doesn't mean that you never feel abandoned or never feel a struggle. But in the midst of that struggle, you need to clearly distinguish between what you feel very deeply and what is actually true you can feel abandoned my friends but never be abandoned secondly I want to remind you in these dark times to cling to God's promises the essence of what it means to be a Christian is that you believe You actually believe in God's promises. You become a follower of Jesus by believing God's word. What he says about you is actually true. What God says about your sin is true. What he says about forgiveness through Jesus Christ is true. Faith is not just what you do in conversion. What happens in conversion, it is what you embrace every single day of your life. Especially especially when you are are on the dark side of God's will. You preach the promises of God to your soul. You sing the promises of God out loud in the congregation. You, You cherish them. You pray them. You rehearse them. And you keep doing this until the dawn comes. Clinging to God's promises. Thirdly, we, we, we ask in these dark moments, we ask for God's help. 
And by this, I don't mean that you just ask for help with the circumstances or God get me out of this. I mean that you pray that God will help you to keep believing. To help, God, would you help me to continue clinging to your promises? Many of us just want the ejection button, right? Just get me out of this and everything's better. But the reality is we, we need to continue clinging to those promises. And it's even the prayer of Psalm 86. Unite my heart to the fear of your name. It's the pleading with God for heaven-sent perseverance. God, help me to continue believing in the midst of this darkness, this loneliness, this painfulness. It's a commitment to keep trusting the one who keeps us trusting. Fourthly, choose to bless. Living through a dark side experience requires a daily and sometimes a moment-by-moment choice. A faith-birthed, promise-believing decision. It is the choice to bless God even when things are hard. Job's wife crumbled under the weight of the pain while Job, while Job said, shall we receive good from God? And shall we not even receive evil? His, his question is really important. Are we only in this God thing because of the benefits? Are, are, you, are you a Christian only because of the, the bennies that you get? Or are you in it for the good, the bad and the ugly, the painful? Uh, Job made his pain a platform for worship. He, he gives and he takes away. And when I say take away, I mean everything. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is what you are called to be about. To choose to bless the Lord even when things are hard. And here's the last thing, and it's, dare say, the most important thing. Consider Jesus. As New Testament believers, we know the final story of Psalm 89. And if you had some really, uh, I'm going to say Christological eyes or eyes that are able to see Christ, you could, as we read through Psalm 89, you're going, he's talking about Jesus. If you saw that, good for you. But we know God did keep his promises to David. There is and forever will be a descendant on that throne who will reign as and is reigning as the king. But the path to his reign was not what we expected nor was it something that was always making sense. What more, Jesus in himself, Jesus also endured the, the dark side of God's will, right? He accomplished the plan of redemption and, and lives as a constant reminder that God always keeps his promise. Therefore, Hebrews 12 says this, and it's a reminder for us, consider him. Consider Him so that you may not grow weary 
or faint-hearted. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. If you need to highlight that, put it on your, your, uh, your mirror, your, wherever you put those Bible verses as you're preaching to your soul, consider Him. Remember Him. Meditate on Him. Focus on Him. Bless Him. When you see the dark side of God's will this way, my friends, it changes everything. It does something beautiful. Something only God can do. It makes your dark side moments. If I, when I wrote this, I thought, Paul, you're stupid. It makes your dark side moments one of the greatest and most intimate times with God. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? It is. Those, those dark side moments become your intimate time with the Lord. Lord, I, I know who you are. I know your promises, and you are ever faithful. I'm going to rehearse those promises. I'm going to re rehearse who you are. I'm going to remember and talk about my pain. I'm going to ask you, how long do I have to stay in here? But ultimately, God, in the midst of this pain and this struggle... Hold in this loneliness, this despair. I am going to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. I'm going to bless your holy name. My friends, that will transform the pain. It won't remove it. But you will find sweetness, intimacy, nearness and warmth even in the cold dark side of God's will you'll discover that while it is dark God is truly there let's pray